Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Candid Community Leadership Podcast. Uh, if this is your first time joining us, this is a podcast where we seek to equip you as a business owner, a community leader, an entrepreneur, or a leader wherever you might have influence. I'm your host, Nick Glue, and I serve as president of Marion Economic Development Corporation here in Marion, Iowa. And today, we're going to talk a little bit about just some inside data related to housing demand in the city of Marion. Uh, Folks from the outside looking in at the city of Marion know that we are a rapidly growing community, especially on the housing front, whether it be single-family homes, multifamily properties. uh, We continue to experience a significant amount of growth. However, we all know here in late 2022 that the housing market is challenged. Uh, We know that it's more expensive to build a home. We know that it's more expensive as the owner or the borrower uh, to borrow money for a home. But there's some new underlying data that suggests regardless of those conditions, we anticipate a high amount of demand between now and the year 2030. The city of Marion contracted with a consultant called Maxfield Research and Consulting earlier this year, and the city of Marion and the Marion City Council received a report back in October uh, that talks about really the anticipated housing demand in our community over the next eight years. Marion Economic Development hosted a a seminar uh, just a few weeks ago, and the City of Marion's Community Development Director, Tom Treharn, presented the findings of this report and had a little bit of a dialogue with our local developers, contractors. We had uh, bankers in the room uh, presenting this information. So on this podcast, we are going to share that presentation. And then I also want to let you know that if you look in the, um, the episode notes for this podcast, you'll actually find a hyperlink to the actual housing needs analysis where you can look at much of the data that Mr. Treharn presented uh, during our seminar that was held uh, here a couple of weeks ago. So uh, I'll step out of the way. And with that, here is Tom Treharn presenting data and the report out that was completed by Maxfield Research. Well, it's it's, uh, it's great to be here this morning and I appreciate your guys' time. a housing needs assessment gets conducted generally about every five years for the city. Um, and I see there's a lot of bankers here and I'm sure the bankers have seen these documents when folks come in and say, hey, I need some money to build some houses and they wanna know kind of what's going on in the market. So we do this as a, as a benefit to all of those that are involved in the housing industry. We do this, uh, it also helps the city do a number of things, uh, get workforce housing tax credits and low income housing tax credits, so on and so forth. So. It is a, it's a great asset and a resource for you to use. We're gonna, I'll, at the end of the presentation, there's a slide, has, uh, it's on our website, and you can drop this down. Um, I'm gonna just kind of talk a little bit about the document and kind of give some key takeaways for you guys, you know, in business, you guys are gonna know a lot about the, the concepts that we're talking about, so I'll run through. And I think the biggest thing that everybody really wants to know is, is what do we need in the marketplace? And I, Brian's here, there's realtors here. Um, I'm gonna share my knowledge and they'll probably have a lot of questions and, and teach me more than I'm sharing with the rest of you. But um, anyway, so the city went through this process um, to develop a, a housing needs assessment. As Nick said, we just got this back. Um, the consultants presented to the, to the city council in September. And uh, um, 
And so we're moving forward. We're trying to get the word out on what it says. And, and we're hoping that the document can be used very soon as it relates to uh, state um, programs. Uh, and, and it's a good document to kind of base any applications as a state on. Um, so the objective was to compile data and demographics, economics and housing and market conditions, and really assist with guiding and attracting new housing development in the city. Um, and then providing uh, community leaders with the information they have, they need to make recommendations, policy or policy um, um, guidance, um, and and so on. So the document really is it's it's a lot of data. And if you want anything on housing data, census data, or demographic data, the document's going to have it. It's going to be up to date. We we did hold off a little bit uh, in preparing this. Our last one was done about 2016. Uh, we, we held off because we wanted to be able to include the 2020 census in it, so it does have updated data. If we would have done it a year earlier, we'd been using old data. So um, thankfully, the state, and Nick did a great job of kind of massaging the, states, this, the state a little bit because we had some applications that were going in, so we took the data that we had and just kind of said, hey, we need to update this stuff, but we're going to wait to the census. So last year, that was of great help, um, and we've received numerous workforce housing tax credit projects in the community as well as senior housing tax credit projects um, as a result of having a needs assessment and the data to support those applications. So the end user benefits, um, the end users are you guys, um, it's the city, it's the developers, it's the realtors, and it's, it's really the document that helps, you know, just guide the council on what comes next, what policies to put in place, as we sit down with the developers, and as we'll talk about, uh, the cost of housing uh, is just skyrocketing. We were just discussing the costs um, that are going up. One of the things that we got to figure out is, is what can we do as a city to ensure that we have enough uh, housing for the workforce um, to ensure that we have good economic growth um, and to understand that and to really provide the appropriate guidance, this document helps inform where money can be placed, where policy should be put in place, and where incentives can be used if that's what's necessary. So in the study, it's the Marion's housing needs assessment, but as many of you know, the housing, the, the market is the metro area. So when you see some of the comparables, what we really used was Marion, Cedar Rapids, and Hiawatha. Um, that's our housing market. Um, we're drawing from Cedar Rapids, Cedar Rapids is drawing from us. So we like to really kind of take a, a wide, broad brush look as well as drill down a little bit into the community itself. Um, so what I want to do is talk a little bit about the past and then we'll, that'll help us inform us uh, on, on the future. So um, I think everybody's aware that we had pretty good population growth between 2010 and 2020. Um, as of the 2020 census, we're at 41,535, which is, which is good growth. We've about 19.5% uh, during that decade, um, which is great. We've 3,100 households, so we've 22% growth. Um, the housing market area as a whole, I'm not going to walk through too much of it, but as a, as a market area, we're just under 200,000. So that's including Cedar Rapids and Hiawatha. <clears throat> obviously, but you can see that Marion is growing a little bit quicker than the rest of the metro area as a whole, and uh, um, th that's great. That's a good thing for Marion. It's a good number to be able to, to pr provide to uh, those that are looking to seek uh, business and employment here in the city. 
Um, from a projections perspective, now taking a look at what uh, Maxfield had to say about where we're headed, um, there's a projection of about, about a 19% projected increase in population over the next 10 years, and then 12% after that. We can talk a little bit about that, and I think you guys could probably give me some perspective as well, but um, the aging population will probably dip, as we've heard in the news, the millennial generations is kind of holding off on having kids. So there's gonna be a peak of, of, of folks and then there's gonna be a little bit of a dip. So they're just looking at it from a downturn perspective and saying, yeah, there may not be as much as robust of growth between 2030 and 2040. What's interesting though, is that you see the household numbers maintain. So, and that's pretty, pretty consistent. If this was the growth pattern, that would be uh, from household perspective, we'd be running about the same line between 2010 to 2040. So um, I think, it's kind of crazy to think that the projected population would be 50,570 in Marion by 2040. Um, I think when I, I think we were just about 25, 26 when I moved here in 2001. So there's, there's been a lot of growth. It is, you drive around town and um, you see the gravel road that's now a paved road and a complete subdivision and it was a, a cornfield not so long ago. That is the fun thing about being in Marion. I think uh, from, from my perspective, I'm gonna ad lib a little bit here, but <laughs> um, as a community development director, as a city planner, if I go to a, a, a metro area or a metro conference, it, it's, it's interesting, I'll talk to somebody and they talk about the growth that they've had. And I'll say, well, you know, I'm from Iowa and we've had this growth. And I think people are kind of shocked to hear what's going on uh, in, in Marion as it relates to, you know, when you're at a national conference. I don't think people really get how much growth we actually have here. So for me, this has been a, a great experience working for the city to be able to see that growth and work with the development community. It's, it's been really fun. And I think um, for business owners and such that are here, uh, I, hope, I hope you guys understand how great that is to be in a community that loves to see that growth and, and continues to move forward. So, sorry, that was just a little ad lib. <laughs> Uh, uh, employment, um, you know, when the study was done, we were about 2.2. Um, the state was at 2.5. You can see there's been a little bit of increase in unemployment rates. Um, you know, I, it's still comparatively nationally low. Um, I think we're fortunate in that regard. We don't have the big up, the upswings. Um, so it's, it's just, uh, it's great to see that. I just thought I'd provide some updated numbers. Um, and I, one of the things that we hear about and you know when Nick Nick's bringing folks into the community for uh, review and potential business location um, uh, one of the things that we hear a lot about is how much housing is there available and so that's a, a key component of the study to be able to say hey if you want to bring a business here we've got the housing and I gotta tell you it's tight right now it is tight you guys that are in the building industries and the banks probably understand that completely um, and that's just a focus that we'll have as a result of this study is going to be say, hey, we really, really, really need that workforce housing to drive employers and investment um, in, the, in the community. Um, I also think it's important that we, we take a look at the average weekly wages in 22 for the metro area. So this, this is going to account for housing that, you know, someone may live in Cedar Rapids but work in Marion or vice versa uh, is $1,200 when you think about the cost of a new home, uh, a, a, a new side-by-side, -side, or a new condo, that's, that's, a, 
that's, that's a tough number when you're looking at what the costs are for new housing. So um, just be cognizant of that as we move through. Uh, I do think it's important as we talk about who do we want to come to the table to be in Marion and what are the, and uh, what industry sectors, you look at the manufacturing sector, which Cedar Rapids metro area is, is, is known for, you know, the, the wages there are much higher and, and as well in the wholesale trade. So, uh, you know, those are the key pl players that we're trying to attract to the community. But at the same time, we have to be able to provide the housing that they need and can afford, or the employers just simply aren't gonna come. So that's, that's an important point. And as, as we move through this, you'll hear me talk a little bit more about that. Um, workforce, um, we're recovering from the pandemic. Uh, this graph really just is an illustration. You can see uh, 2020, 2021, we've, we've, we've made a little bit of a jump, but we're still about five years, I think it's about five years to get even. Um, and so we've got, we got some recovery to do. Um, and I don't think that's a mystery, but it is good to see that that number has kind of started to come up and we're hoping that that trajectory will continue um, as, as we move forward. Um, from a household income perspective, clearly the higher the income, the more, the, the more uh, uh, housing, the, better, the bigger house will be available. Um, Marion is, is known across the metro area to have the highest median income. Um, you can see in the, uh, middle uh, age groups of the cohorts 35 to 54 were about 12 10 to twelve thousand dollar per year ahead of the metro area um, um, so that's a good indicator of of, of uh, income across the city um, and that helps drive housing of course one thing i just want to touch on a little bit how, how many people lived in an apartment just a question lived, L lived in an apartment Oh, everybody, except one person. But everybody lived in an apartment, right? So, so I asked this question, and, and we're talking about median incomes. And there's a program going to be rolled out. Um, it's actually been rolled out by the state. Some of you may be involved in it. The CDB program, the CDBG program, DR, Disaster Recovery Funds. You've seen a lot of splash in the news about, I think, it's like $47 million available for uh, housing. Um, in the metro area, and there's really two, two major, well, it's Lynn County, but there's two major sides of that. One is for rental housing and one is for single family. And there's, when you look at the bullet points for that program, $100,000 assistance on a single family home, $75,000 for an apartment unit in a building. So you start doing that, that's a huge number. But what we're hearing from the development community is that the incomes that, are, that can afford those, even with those incentives, is, is very, there's very few. So a lot of the development community is like, listen, it doesn't, I can't even make this work. I can't build the house and get $100,000 and still be able to provide it to the folks that need housing, that, and that, that workforce uh, level of housing. So when we talk about, and why I asked about the apartments is, when you hear about these programs, a lot of it's referred to as low and moderate income, LMI, affordable housing, attainable housing, which was essential. That, essential, essential housing, attainable housing is another one. That's all usually based on an 80% of the median income for the county, not the city, the county. So 
we all hear and watch on the news of those public hearings where there's a affordable housing project going in and everybody is, you know, they go a little crazy about what that's bringing to the, to the table. And there's a lot of questions about it. Well, we have a fairly high median income. The county as a whole has a fairly high median income. And I, I just wanna, just so that when this comes up, you guys understand, when they're talking about a, a essential housing, um, they're really talking about the 80% of median income. In, in Lynn County, that's, that's, an, that's a salary of $50,000 a year. So it, you, know, you could go to another community, any, any other, we've got the highest median income around uh, for Lynn County, but you go somewhere else, 80% is much lower. But those are truly the jobs of the police, the fire, and the teachers. So I, I hope when you guys are, when you see those things, if, if one message could be provided would be when those projects come up and you hear people talk is to, to truly be able to say, hey, you know what? We all live in an apartment. This is entry level housing that we need to drive our economic engine to drive workforce and employment. So um, I know I'm kind of preaching to the choir. You guys kind of get this, but I, I, I just think that that's an important point because boy, those really hit the, hit the news and they really become a neighborhood problem um, or a neighborhood issue. And I think it's just important that we, we have a full understanding of that when those projects are coming, coming around. Um, so most of the DR projects, so the CDBG programs, um, I think we got five or six folks that are looking to do projects and they're gonna, re some of them may require a rezoning. So that's when that becomes an issue is when you're having to rezone for an apartment complex and the, and the issue of income comes up. But, with that program, you're gonna probably see some splashes across the metro area. I know Cedar Rapids has a number of projects coming forward. And that question, I guarantee you, will come up. And, and the way that program is set, it's, it, it literally is, it's 80% of the median income, which in Lynn County is about $50,000. So um, anyway, that's just some general knowledge, but I'm really fearful of how that's gonna be portrayed in the public, but hopeful that, we, that that program can drive the housing that we need in the metro area. Sorry, I got off on a little tangent there, but um, <laughs> so is that the fifty thousand per year? Is that for a household of two? I know there's a that that yep, yeah, that's one. It's fifty-seven for a dual income. Okay. Yep. Yep. So and even some of some of the low-income housing tax credit, they'll do a mix of housing. So you'll have thirty percent, forty percent, sixty percent, and eighty percent, and some market rate. Marion, the Lofts Project on Fifth Avenue. If you drive down Sixth. You'll see a new apartment complex at 22nd. That right there is it's a low-income housing tax credit project. Um, it has it has uh, market rate 80%, 60, and I want to say 30 um, percent. So that is 55 units, and they do a complete mix mixing of incomes. As a matter of fact, the to to tell you the the state of the market, the market rate were the first first out. Like when that place opened, the market rate filled up the first. So, I mean, there's a huge desire for apartments and just from virtue of there's vacancy. I'll show you that in a minute, but, and that is running it. Last I heard that was running full. So, um, so market trends, the market activity has been robust in the community. As we talked about, we've seen the numbers and growth. Um, we're, we are expecting a little bit of decline. Um, somewhat due to the rising prices, interest rates, supply chain shortages, 
12% increases in concrete that I just heard in the first of the year. That's insane. Um, and then new construction um, did accelerate after the Great Recession, um, but, but all of these things are really, they're driving that back down. Um, and this, the interest rates too are just, I think, didn't they just say they're gonna raise them again or something? Um, so um, just from a resale perspective, um, average resale price through 2020 through August was uh, 282. Um, you can see the highest in 2021, we had 869 units that were uh, um, turned over. And then, I mean, very timely sale, 22 days on the market. That is, that's, that is a quick turnaround. I had a friend of mine moved to Washington, D.C. when I was... Uh, in the early 2000s, he said, "You just if you wanted to sell your home, you could just sit in a lawn chair and put the sign in the yard and wait for somebody to drive by. And we're not there yet, but I do think in some areas, it doesn't take but a minute to put that sign up and you're, you're gonna sell, so. Which is a good, sometimes is a good problem to have. We just wish we had more of that housing. Um, so housing availability, um, the, uh, this is just showing that there's a, a, quite a bit of housing. There's, uh, as of August, there are 852 single family and uh, detached listings and 209 single family. Um, so single family is still, um, there's still available units for resale. I, I think it's interesting that there's 209 single family attached. Um, the way that from a community planning perspective, um, and you're gonna see this probably come out in the, in the way the zoning ordinance is implemented in the future, Really, single family attached and single family homes, they're, they're all the same. Just doing the attached really provides uh, an opportunity for re re a reduced cost for a, a single family unit. So that's, that's something you're gonna see where there's not gonna be a lot of differences between where single family attached and detached can go. Um, new construction availability in 2021. This, this is a shocking number for me. Um, we've it, sitting in the planning office and understanding and development and seeing the plats come through. We get a lot of big preliminary plats and they pop in and then it takes a few years to drop down each final plat addition where they sell the lots, developers build, and then they move on to their next addition. To have, to go from 204 single family homes to 94, that, that is, that, that is, uh, that's kind of crazy. And I think that really is something that we're keeping our eye on. Um, I was putting this presentation together and looking at these numbers and I just, I had just pulled the, the recent stats and I gotta admit I was a little shocked by the 94 units. Um, I'm also a little bit shocked by 170 units of multifamily. So you can see there's a shift. And the question is, is, is What's driving the single family? Is it land availability? Is it pricing the market? Is availability of new homes? Is it you can't get product to build the homes? So there's no, so there's a lot of things out there that are driving that. But it just tells a little bit of a story there. Um, we're we're seeking we're seeing a lot more uh, apartments, uh, they're, and they're filling up. The market's driving that. I think it's also interesting to see that was only in four buildings. 170 units in four buildings. So we're seeing the, the bigger apartments. When in about 2010 to 2015, 
or even a little bit, probably up to the, we didn't see any larger apartment buildings over a 12-plex get built, which was shocking to me, um, trying to understand, you know, what, where is the workforce going to live? Where are the first-time um, buyers, or not even really buyers, the first-time uh, renters going to be in Marion when there wasn't really good options? So I think some of that is market catch-up. Um, and I think at that time, too, you could buy a, a condo at a very reasonable price, and those, those have skyrocketed as well. So I think we're going to see more mixed use like we're standing in today. I think we're going to see a lot more of the uh, uh, larger uh, multifamily units, uh, and I think that's being driven by the market. Um, so, and as you can see, comparatively 16 buildings uh, last year, 109 units. So there's been kind of that shift uh, in, the, in the new construction. Um, average pricing for a single family is $450,000. I mean, it's great to see, but really that's, I mean, got to get some housing in there for, for who we're trying to attract to the community labor-wise. And it's not really much different from for the multi, in this, in this instance, the multifamily would be your condominiums or the, the side-by-side or townhome style home. A uh, lot availability. Um, this shocked me as well in the report. This is as of August, there are 133 active vacant developed lots in the, in the, in the, in the metro area. So that is a extremely low um, availability. There are only 22 in Marion, 46 in Cedar Rapids, and 65 in Hiawatha. Um, that number, it seems, it seems low, I know. Well, and we sit in the, what we do is, I mean, you guys, preliminary plat, someone brings in 60 acres and they preliminary plat it and you'll have 180 lots. Well, that's kind of what, well, you know, they're just doing another addition. Well, the development community has backed off on that because as soon as they plat that, they have all the investment um, and there's no one to build on the home, build on the property because of supply chain issues. So they've really, the final plats this year went way back. And as a matter of fact, um, we hadn't had a major preliminary plat until June, and that was the Sycamore development out off uh, 35th Avenue, uh, single family development. Um, so the preliminary plat is the pipeline for the final plat, which is then in the availability of lots. We're sitting here today, we've had, in the last month or two, we've had three preliminary plats come in with, um, uh, well, two of them are about 75, well, probably about 80 lots. And then we had a, a major 120-acre preliminary plat come in, which <laughs> that helps bolster <laughs> and bolster the, the conversation. But um, um, we were a little shocked and a little concerned in the planning office, like, well, what's going to happen next year? We only built 94 units last year, or so far this year. What's going to happen if we don't see any preliminary plats? And final plats seem to be uh, on this lower uptick, so... Um, the other thing that, as we were looking at the population projections, and it's not, it's not really related to the doc, the, this particular document, um, but it's related to just growth in general. Um, if, if some may have heard of it, some may not have heard of it, but uh, we did a, a sanitary sewer study just recently, about a year ago. Um, and it highlighted about $80 million worth of improvements that need to be done 
to ensure that we can continue to grow. The Indian Creek trunk sewer is a major component to that, but we do have areas in the community that would be prime for development, but for the fact that we have limitations and, and constraints in our sanitary sewer system. So north off 10th Avenue, just above Echo Hill School, where we would love to see that growth um, around the school, really drive, drive housing um, uh, in that area, uh, we, we don't have, we, we can't expand our sanitary sewer system until we make some improvements downstream. Um, so that's one area of, of concern that we have. So as you hear the community talk about bonding and, and project, capital projects, uh, that sewer infrastructure is, is critical. We're also, we've, we've got some areas on the edge on the north side that, that water pressure is a concern. Um, and so some of the you know, water departments seeking ground, we need a new water, elevated water tower. Um, to kind of accommodate some of that growth. So not only is it supply chain, interest rates, it's also there's constraints in the, in the environment that are not allowing us to grow. And in some instances, exa exactly where we wanna grow, but we can't because of those issues. And what that's doing is it's driving a lot of the development to the areas where we really don't wanna see growth because we don't have the infrastructure or it requires us to expand the infrastructure to a point where we gotta take on a lot of debt to see that occur. So home prices, as we've been talking about a little bit, you can see uh, in the last, you know, if you, if you look at this, uh, the median sold price in about 2017 was about 150,000. In 2021, it was, it was over 200,000. So we've had a $50,000 um, jump in the median value of a home sale price in, in that, that time frame. So, that is really, really affecting the affordability factor and, can, and will continue to drive that apartment number and bolster that investment in that market. Um, switching gears a little bit, talk a little bit about senior housing. Uh, as we talked about, uh, the, the population projections are continue to go up, but it's also gonna drive uh, a desire and a need for senior housing. The millennials aren't having uh, children until later, and we've got a much, uh, uh, greater senior population. For the first time in history, uh, we're gonna have a, a, a greater senior population than the young folks coming into the market. So what does that mean uh, to, the, to, the, to the workforce that we have and how do you accommodate that in the housing market? So there's, there's a lot of questions um, to be answered in that regard. Um, so um, I'm not gonna read you this slide, but really I, I think it's just what, what's interesting to see uh, is the vacancy rates. So 3.7% 3, 3 vacancy in, uh, in, in senior housing um, for the independent living, it's a 1.7% vacancy. Uh, and, and, and so Marion, we have, we have one deep subsidy senior housing uh, development, which is east of 13, north of 151, the brick buildings uh, across from like Culver's. Uh, they, have, they have 211 units and there is zero vacancy. And that list is long to get on it. It is, we deal with a lot of folks in the community that are trying to stay in their home as long as possible. And, and what, what we run into is, <laughs> it's horrible. Um, what, what, what we run into is that there's, it usually becomes a maintenance issue with the housing unit or some other issue that drives us into the, have the conversation. And we find that, that they need help. Seniors are needing help. 
And when we call the agencies to provide that assistance, there is just nowhere for them to go. And to get on these lists for, for any kind of uh, subsidized housing for seniors is just extremely difficult. I mean, they get on the list, but the, the housing just doesn't become available. And if you just even rewind to about five years ago, we had a huge, there was a market study that was done, and I think it indicated there are over 800 units necessary in the metro area to fill the market for senior housing. And then we got, between Cedar Rapids and Marion, we, we received, oh, I don't know, six or eight senior housing projects back-to-back, -back, tax credit projects. So um, the one down by Casey's, the one on Blair's Ferry Road, um, yeah, there's, there was just a number of them. So really the state responded and was able to fill some of that market, but it's still, there is still a drastic need in the senior housing realm. Um, moving in just to this general rental housing, um, I think some folks are shocked to see that uh, the city of Marion has, has 4,500 licensed rental units. There's probably another 20% that are unlicensed, <laughs> but that's the people that claim they have one. Um, uh, of those 4,500 though, 23% are single family homes. So they're, that's like a thousand. That's, that is a huge number. And what's, what's happened in the marketplace is that because there's so, such low vacancy rate, there's a desire for more rentals that the investment in the market is driving folks to go buy single family homes in neighborhoods and, and use them as, and use them, provide them as a rental unit in a neighborhood, which in, isn't, isn't a horrible situation, but it, but it does lead to that affordability factor. Um, most of the homes, most first-time home buyers are not buying a new home, they're buying an existing home. In the market right now, because of the low vacancy rate in apartments, the investment folks are going out and buying houses and, and renting those, which is, are the lower value or lower cost homes, which is taking away from the availability of, of first-time home buyers. So it's, it's a real challenge to try and figure out how to, to meet the needs of everyone, and then the market's really compressing that group of folks that are just looking to get into a, a home. Um, and you can see the average in, in Marion. And I, I think this, this, this right here on the, the market rate units, I think that tells a really good story. This market is so tight that look at the average rents. There's like a little bit of nothing and we have the same vacancy rate. So folks are really, I mean, they're just going where they can go right now. And then, uh, uh, a shallow subsidy. Um, we have a few units, um, so those these would be the um, the ones that have income restrictions on some of the units, and then uh, deep subsidies. Section eight housing. Marion has not, we do we do not have any section eight housing. So as we talk about the affordability factor, and just trying to understand what that means to the community, um, the cost burden. Of, of, of housing on, rent, on renters and then home owners. Um, you know, really the way the, the feds kind of identify this is if you're, and I'm sure the banks look at this a lot as it relates to providing a loan, but if you're cost burden, you're really, that's really saying that 30, over 30% 30 of your gross income is going towards your housing. And so that limits your availability or, or really makes it difficult to make your mortgage payment or your rent payment. So you can see, that renters, um, $35,000 or less are, are really cost burden, um, which 
mean, as you can imagine, um, we just that, that that's just driving home the idea and the need for more affordable housing. Um, similarly, with the um, with home owners, uh, an estimated 44% of Marion's homeowners with incomes less than 50,000 are cost burdened. So really, that's saying that the 80% median income households of those half of them are cost burdened by the housing that they're in. So this is the best slide of the whole thing. This is Nick's favorite slide. This is my favorite slide. This, this is why we do this study. This is, this, at the end of the day, what we want to know is what we need, what style of housing we need, and then we can say we've got a study that says this, and that helps banks, that helps developers, that helps the state, uh, helps policymakers uh, look at the data and say, hey, you know what? We really need to figure out how we can get more single-family homes so, or, or shallow subsidy rental units. So at the end of the day, between now and 2030, so not very long, what, what they're saying, if we want to keep up with the market demand, that we need 480 multifamily units, 1,300 single-family homes, and about 50 deep subsidized properties, 306 shallow, and then 595 market rate apartments. Um, at first I saw that, I was like, well, that's, that seems, seems kind of low. But when you consider it was, it's taking us about 10 years to build 3,000 units, we're, it's, not, it's, 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 it's a substantial bite. So um, this is the key takeaway. Um, from, from, the, from the study. And then I think the other one, just because it's such a, a, such a conversation, is senior housing. Um, you know, you can see that there's a whole host of areas of senior housing. Um, the, the owner, the rental, independent living. Um, and this is, these are the numbers to 2027. So taking a look at the population projections and the cohorts, trying to understand where we need to grow. Um, this provides a great uh, snapshot of, of, of those units and, and where we need to see some growth. So recommendations, these are very broad. Recommendations is try to find a way to fill all those gaps in the next, <laughs> till 2027 and 2028. That's the big one. Um, but, but uh, you know, as you look at the study, it says, uh, we just need housing across the board. And I, I know that really doesn't tell you, you really like to be able to say, what we really need is X. Well, we just need housing in every realm which is a difficult story. And I think the next steps are really to, to, to work with the council, to work with our economic development partners to say, okay, when you need all of this, what are the tools in the toolbox to make these things happen? So uh, what kind of incentive programs are we gonna do? What kind of state programs can we tap into using the data that we have? What kind of policies can we do uh, in the community or in, in incentivize um, to ensure that you know, more rental housing is built because um, that's going to be a, that's a, that's a big deal. Um, so some of the things that the study suggested, and we've already seen this in the market, single family detached homes on smaller lots. Uh, our, our zoning code currently allows the minimum lot size is 60 feet. We've had probably three developments come in in the last 18 months wanting 55 or narrower lots. Uh, and that's just simply the, the cost to build a home on a traditional Marion lot is just, it's, it's, not, it's not feasible. When you see the average price of a home is $450,000 and you've seen where the need is, that's just not attainable. So we're gonna see that. Um, 
and I think what we're going to try and do as the city is to kind of work with the development community and understand the impact of building a smaller lot in a subdivision. How does that work? What's that design look like? And I do think there's going to be a lot more conversations about what the design of a subdivision looks like when you've got such tight uh, lots. And that'll be a conversation that we'll have to have. Um, I think we're going to see a lot more single family attached homes. We're already seeing this. Um, these are single family homes, um, regardless of whether they're rental or owner occupied, uh, they operate in a neighborhood just like uh, uh, a single family home. Our comp plan suggests that, you know, anywhere you can put a single family home, a side by side or a condo town home you know, should, should be accommodated as well. Um, market rate mixed, mixed income and affordable rental units. Uh, developed. As I indicated, that lofts project was a great example of, of a project. I think most folks, if they drive by it, wouldn't know that that's uh, a, a low-income housing tax credit project from the state perspective. I also think once they hear that, they would be shocked to know that, that you know, five of the 55 units are market rate and a majority of them are 80%, which means that the income qualification is, is uh, less than $50,000 for a single person. So I, I think that kind of a conversation is gonna be shocking to the community and we just need to keep telling that story because it is very compelling. And then senior housing, as we indicated, is just across the board, all, all assets of that. We're gonna see uh, the study recommends that we uh, <coughs> increase single family detached and attached housing supplies. So how can we get that accomplished? And then I think this last one is, is one that when folks come to us, we're going to be talking to the development community and saying, hey, what we really need is a di our di diversified neighborhoods, um, uh, healthy neighborhoods, uh, ones with a mix of types, incomes, and affordability. So big lots, small lots, uh, multifamily, as well as condos and townhomes. So that's what we're going to want to see. And I know that's going to be that's a, that's a shift in paradigm for Marion. We've got a lot of folks that just have built single family homes for the last 20 years, and that's what they do. But there's just gonna be a conversation about, okay, how much of that can we um, absorb? And, and when you're building, like we got the, the, the plat out east, Chad Pelly, 120 acres. If you haven't driven out to the east side of Marion, north of 151, and, and, and seen how that area is developing, you, you really should. Um, he's got um, the, the stacked condo units, single family, side by side. Um, they're developed a little bit different than, than most of the neighborhoods in Marion, but it is, it's, when we seen it on the, on, on the plats, we were excited about it. It's really exciting now to see some of that come out of the ground. So certainly if you get an opportunity to go look at that. Um, he has actually acquired and is developing the next 120 acres. So literally between Fernal Road and 151 over a quarter section is all going to be preliminary platted. And the way that Chad is developing is just like this. He's got a diversified housing stock um, and greenways throughout. So we, we're excited about the opportunities that that, that can bring as well. So.